you have your Bibles, if you want to turn back to that passage we read in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to look at it together. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that as we come to your word, that it's your voice we will hear. As we ask these things, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, did you um, suss out what the title is or the subject is for this morning? It's actually, don't let anyone take away the freedom that you have in Christ. That's a good thing to grab hold of. Don't let anyone take away the freedom that you have in Christ. Just a few things from what we've seen already from this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. In chapter 2 verse 9 he said this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. For in Christ, get that, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You know, this is confirmation. It's confirmation of what Paul's been saying. It's a leader into what he's going to say next in his letter. But it is confirmation that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus said that himself. I and the Father are one. So this is confirmation that Jesus and the Father are one in the Holy Spirit. We have the Trinity there, just in that one verse then we come to verse 14 of that same chapter, chapter 2. Therefore, good word that, therefore, isn't it? That means it's dependent on other things. You know, he's been saying things and because he said these things. Therefore, based on these things, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Now you've got to look at these words in context. You've got to... Keep in mind what Paul is talking about here. These things were all part of the Mosaic law. And they were an integral part of God's plan of salvation. You've got to recognise that. They were an integral part of God's plan of salvation. They had their place. But they had served their purpose. And they have been fulfilled in Christ. The ironic priesthood, that is, the priesthood under Aaron, the daily sacrifices, the restrictions of certain foods and drink, the yearly festivals, the temple worship, they've all served their purpose. They've had a purpose, but that purpose has now been served. And their purpose was they were a representation of who Jesus is so that they would know him and recognize him. Also, that they would worship God in the power of who he is, although he hadn't yet visited this earth in his human form or given his life. But it's all in the power of that death that these things were there for God's people. For God's people, he is the Messiah. He is the promised one who was to come, but now he's come. So these things have served their purpose. This meant that the way for both Jew and Gentile to be right with God was by the way of the sacrifice that Jesus made on their behalf 
when he died on the cross. For the Jew. Remember, this is who Paul is speaking to. He's speaking to Jew and Gentile, but he's aiming these comments at those Jewish people who have come into the church claiming to be believers in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for the Jew, this meant that the, the law given by Moses, by given to Moses by God, has come to fruition. The fulfillment of it is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Their freedom. It's a good word there. We're going to look at that word, not this morning, but we're going to look at that word freedom. And in the meantime, next week, you think about what freedom is. You'll hear it bandied about a lot. Think about that word freedom. Think what it means. Their freedom from God's wrath didn't come from them by way of what they could do. It came to them in the power of what Jesus did. They could now put aside the things that they'd been doing, the things that they had been putting their trust in. But now, they could put their trust in the one who is God with them. You've heard that before, haven't you? Maybe not in that sort of way. When Jesus was born, he would be known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And these are the Jewish people. So he's God with them. Isn't that great? Isn't that glorious? <clears throat> Jesus died. And when he died, and these people would know this, the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. It was done by God. Why? To show them that the way now was open to God. Not through the temple. It was, and that was right. But now, it's through Christ, their Messiah. Okay. You lads. Do you have dinky cars when you were younger? I, I did. I had loads of dinky cars. Used to play with monoflow. Great. This actual one is actually, um, it's a Ford. And it's like the first car I ever owned. So it's quite an old fashioned looking car. Go out in the car park and have a look at the cars out there. Yeah. Shall we put that beside him? And we'll see if there's any comparison. Would you swap your car in the car park if you've got one there for this little dinky car here? I don't know which does it. What about you ladies? Okay. My sister, she had a, a doll. This doll was called a Tiny Tears. Now, some of you are too old, uh, too young to remember that. Well, for those of you who don't know what a Tiny Tears is, it was a little baby doll. And you put water somewhere in, in the body of it. And when it cried, you lean it forward. The tiny tears doll shed tears. Yeah? Compare that to the real thing. Can you see what I'm saying here? 
Would you exchange that time and tears for a little baby or a grown-up child that you have or a relative that you have now? There's no comparison, is there? But that little dog served its purpose. That little car served its purpose. In verse 17 here, Paul sums this up. He brings to us the, the true reason for the Mosaic law and the result of its true purpose and he does it in one sentence. This is great. This is great. Verse 17. He's talking about the law about the temple worship and he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. And this is it. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That's where the reality is. The reality of that little Ford car is out there in the car park. And I don't want to go back to that one. We live, or they live, and Paul is asking them, why? Why do you live in the shadow of religion when you can live in the light of the one who is the light of the world? Why live in the shadow of religion when you can live in the light of the one who is the light of the world? That's a verse in John 8, verse 12. Now the words of Jesus, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You get that? The problem in the church at Colossae was that some of the Jews had come into the church, they, they'd acknowledged who Jesus was. They don't realise that. That they weren't ignoring Jesus. They were acknowledging who Jesus was. But here's the rub. They wouldn't accept the importance of who Jesus is. So that's that problem today, you know. Many people will acknowledge Jesus. They will go to church. They will read the Bible. They will sing the hymns. Great, it's great. And then they come out not acknowledging who Jesus really is, the light of the world. And they still walk out in the shadow of their religion when they've heard the words of the one who is the light of the world. Why? Does that frustrate you? Frustrated Paul, you know. <laughs> Can you feel the frustration here? He wasn't with them. He couldn't be with them. He's in prison in Rome but he cares about them. I'm wondering if he wants to come and shake them by the shoulders, you know. Well, he's doing it fairly. Probably that's the best way to do it anyway. Probably that's the right way to do it. That's what Paul is doing. These people who come in, they, they, they were insisting that Jesus hadn't done enough to completely free them. There's that word again, freedom. Free them from the wrath of God. And telling them their salvation would only be complete when they lived by the traditional Mosaic law. Still come to church. Still read your Bible still. But you've got to abide by these religious things. They were telling the believers that they must abstain from certain foods, keep the traditional festivals. These were all good things in their day. 
serve the purpose. The holy days, and eventually they would be asking then, we see this as you go through Paul's letters, you go through the New Testament, this is the start of something here, they would be asking them to submit to circumcision and telling them this is the way of pleasing God in order to be rescued and to be free from the wrath of God. This is in direct opposition to what Jesus said. This is contrary to what we know as the gospel. John 14 verse 6. Listen to this. Jesus answered, I am the way. Now, he did go on in that verse and say, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But just for this moment, grab hold of that bit. Jesus said, I am the way. We're not saved by trying to please God. But you know, we can be saved by the one who did please God. 2 Peter 1, 16 and 17. Peter's speaking here about what he knows to be true, what he's seen, what he's heard. He said, For we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He's not pleased with us, you know. Why are they trying to please God by what they can do? It doesn't work. Why? Because the one who pleased God was his son. How did he please him? By being obedient. To the will of God. We know where that led. Peter's telling us what he saw and what he heard. And in the book of Hebrews, we read this, it's Hebrews 11, in verse 6, great chapter of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So there's something missing there. If you're just trying to do it in your own effort without faith, it's impossible. So faith is important. But without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, yes, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Right, it doesn't come to everybody automatically. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it's by grace you have been saved. How? Paul goes on. Through faith. And what does that mean? Well, he tells us. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. See that? You know, Paul is dealing with a situation here that he's dealt with before. He's going to have to deal with it again. In fact, the whole early church had to deal with it. Peter, the apostle, had to deal with it in his own life. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians 5.1 And there's that word I mentioned earlier. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So what 
does Paul mean when he refers to the freedom that we have in Christ? Freedom from what? And freedom to do what? Because freedom gives us that. Freedom from something and then freedom to do something. <coughs> One. God wants us to be free from the penalty of his wrath. That's God's desire. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to him in repentance. Secondly, he wants us to be free to live the way that we were created to live. We were created for a purpose. And the freedom we have in Christ gives us the freedom to be able to do that. Chapter 3 and 4 of Paul. In those chapters he'll say more about living the life that we were created to live. That's where we can have a look again. Freedom. Well, for this morning, let's listen to something that Paul said to the believers in Corinth. This is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and 20, 19 through to 22. And Paul's honest here. Paul's always honest. He faces the reality. He looks at both sides of the coin. He says this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ. For... If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. See, you need to know who Christ is. That's what he's saying. Don't go under an umbrella. Oh, I know who Jesus is. I, I read the Bible. All good things. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This is it. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, for as Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. The all that Paul mentions here, he's not talking about everybody and anybody. He's qualifying it. He's talking about those who accept. Christ as their saviour. He's talking about those who seek and find. This is all about accepting God's gift, God's gracious gift of his son. Let me read again what Jesus said. It's that verse in John 14, verse 6. And Jesus answered, I am the way. We've looked at that. But it goes on. He is the way. But he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So we've got two there. He is the way, the truth and the life. Colossians 2, verse 18 and 19. Paul reveals the true identity of these people who have come into the church at Colossae with this false teaching. Verse 18. 
Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, these people who've come into your church, they're proud hypocrites. They're relying on religious duties that are based on their own ideas. And it's in the hope that these things are the things that will make them right with God. In the belief, and this is it, that the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was not enough. They're saying it was insufficient. We need to be different. We need to do more to secure our salvation. Verse 19. He says, they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. This brings us to the, he said, is the key verse in this letter. And it's verse 18 of chapter 1. Speaking about Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's what Paul is saying here. They had lost sight of who Jesus really is. That's the problem. And then in verse 22 to 23, as we draw towards the end, what the false teachers are teaching. But before he does that, in verse 20, Paul is just going to say a word to the faithful believers. Verse 20. He wants them to get hold of this. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world... Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? He's saying, why do you even bother to listen to the lies these people are telling when you know that the lies? Why are you being drawn into their way of religious living when you know the truth? You know the one who is the light of the world. The way of the world. And the truth. <clears throat> so he says in verse 20, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 22, these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use and based on merely human commands and teachings. You know, Paul's not saying here that as Christians you don't obey the laws of the land. What Paul is saying here is have nothing to do with religious rules and ordinances that promise what they cannot deliver. And what can they not deliver of themselves? They cannot deliver freedom from God's wrath. It's only through Christ. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. A lot of them do, don't they? And their self-imposed worship. Yeah. Their false humility. Their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I just want to finish 
this morning as we think about these things. I'm just going to read um, a few verses from Acts, well, one verse from Acts 4, verse 12. This sums it up. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name but the heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And we don't find salvation in a mixture of tradition, legalism, mysticism, all masquerading under the name of Christianity that promotes the way of salvation as being relies on us showing God how good we are and expect Him to accept us. We are all sinners. Where do you find a doctor? You find him with the sick. Where did they find Jesus when he walked this earth? With the tax collectors and sinners. It's not about how good we are, it's about how bad we are. That is the truth. Paul speaks about this in Romans. And I'm going to, I think as we do finish now, I'll just quote these verses. You probably know quite well from Romans. Romans 3.23, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth. We need to get hold of it. 6 verse 23, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel. 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. Now listen to this. He doesn't demonstrate his love to us by saying how good you've been and pat us on the head and say because you are good when you arrive at the pearly gates I weigh up what you've done I'll put my arms around you and I'll welcome you in because you're a good person. None of us are good. So Jesus didn't come for the good people. He came for you and I, the sinners. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That wraps it up, doesn't it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul says to the believers in Colossae, when you called on the Lord to save you, he saved you. And you didn't hear it. In fact, you didn't even deserve it. But by the grace of God, by the love of God, you have it. What do you have? You people in Colossae, you have freedom from the wrath of God. And that's how you got it. And it's yours. So hang on to it. And don't let anybody come and tell you, no, that's not enough. Oh yes, you've got to live now how God wants you to live. We'll see that. Paul's going to tell us that next time we come to this passage in Colossae. Let's just uh, pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We acknowledge before you that sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we don't really listen to what you are saying to us. 
But our Father, we thank you that whatever circumstances we're in, whenever we come to your word, you know our circumstances. You know how we stand before you. You know how things have gone during this past week and what is ahead of us during this coming week. And you know our hearts. And our Father, we just pray that through this short part of Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae, you will speak to us here in Croxton as a community of your people and as individuals. Father, we do thank you. That is, the freedom we have is in Christ. And in his name, we thank you for it.